Hello. So in the last podcast, I spoke about the preparation side of doing the Kilimanjaro climb. So in this podcast, I thought I'd talk more about the climb itself. And um, we were all flying into um, Kilimanjaro International Airport, which, you know, small airport. It's, it's near Arusha. It's actually sort of halfway between Arusha and the, the sort of next big town. And um, my, my recollection there, given that we, we actually arrived around midnight, uh, was, and, and I think it was first off the flight, I think it was in the front. Um, it was a, not, not a massive aircraft, not a tiny one, but it was sort of small enough. And um, got down the steps and just stepped on the tarmac and the, the officials there immediately wanted to see my yellow fever certificates. They weren't interested in passport or anything else at that point, just my yellow fever certificates. So they were pretty hot on that. And uh, anyway, I got picked up, taken to the hotel, was in pretty late, you know, obviously arriving at sort of one or two in the morning and um, then had um, breakfast uh, the following morning, which was sort of officially day one. And um, a bunch, a few people had got arrived um, the previous day, I think it was, and they'd been on safari and had then uh, finished up. So we walked into Arusha, we weren't that far um, outside and... Um, uh, had lunch there, got a bit of money, and um, then kind of relaxed. There wasn't too much to do, but it was quite nice. I sort of did sort my kid out because I knew the following day we'd be heading off, and um, I wanted to sort out the stuff I'd be leaving behind um, at the hotel uh, while I was doing the climb. So did all of that. And um, we then had a sort of dinner, and one or two people were still arriving through dinner, but then we had a main briefing by our um, team leader and that was where I mentioned that my found out my sleeping bag and liner weren't really um, warm enough so I had to um, get another liner but they took us through everything and um, this is also where the doctor was leading our trip recommended I did take Dymox so I got I got some Dymox from her and um, that I, I probably did make a difference and I certainly didn't get altitude sickness so I did struggle a little bit at one point which I'll talk about later so my recommendation is to take Dymox if you're thinking of doing the trip but it was it was nice we had a really good dinner together and um then the following day we basically got everything sort of semi-checked out of our rooms got all that got out the bags we're leaving behind already the rest of the stuff we were taking with us we we kept and then the guys came to pick us up and we got a we had a minibus over to um uh, i think it's pronounced Nali Muru um so this is near the um, Naramuru Gate, which is where we actually started. So we were on the Rongai route, which is R-O-N-G-A-I. So I've probably pronounced that all wrong. Um, th that route is the northern route. It's, as I understand it, it's one of the less popular routes, or was at the time. This was in uh, August 2017 that I, I went, um, which was fine as far as I was concerned because it meant fewer people and fewer sort of hanging around and all that sort of stuff. And um, uh, uh, so the setting off point was Nanimuru, which is at 1,950 metres, given that we were almost climbing to 6,000 metres in a few days. We were actually, the difference was around 4,000 metres. So it's sort of fairly steady walking. And um, the really nice thing about it was we, we did our sort of official start photo and then we started our, it was essentially hike. It was quite a nice um, hike. It was about the only day where you could comfortably wear shorts. Uh, because it did get a bit nippy as we went further up. But um, we, uh, walking past the village, or on the way around the village, we, we sort of joined with a bunch of school children who just finished their school for the day. 
and they, they were maybe six or so, so little. <laughs> and uh, it was just really nice to have them along. And they're all pretty canny about getting gifts. And I had little koala bears as a giveaway and uh, got, got rid of pretty much all of them, I think. And um, some people have brought sweets. Other people have brought sort of sticky stick on, you know, little flags you could stick on different things. So, um, and we were mostly Australian. So it was a, a bit of a, a sort of Australian group and and the kids were just great we were throwing them around and do, doing all the sort of stuff you do when you play with um small kids at that age but because we were raising money and we had raised a lot of money for unicef australia it just seemed a very fitting way to um to start the trip and we, we sort of kept on going it was just it was nice it was pretty steady walk nothing too horrendous um and we ended up at simba camp which is at 2600 meters and we got there sort of late afternoon and um the the porters had gone past us they left us and set up camp and i mentioned before they were really good they would um break down the camp in the morning you know tents and things go past us as we were walking up and then have everything set up for us when we arrived and it tended to be the same personal people setting up our own tents so the person setting up my my tent tended, tended to be the same one and he would set up my um uh, my uh, thing that I forget what you call them the thing that you sort of inflate um, I didn't blow it up it had a sort of this bag thing it used for inflating which is quite handy actually but the guy got the hang of that and then he would set that up for me every time so when I arrived at the tent it was all pretty much done and I would just get the sleeping bag out throw my kit down and that was me sorted pretty much and they would also set up a larger tent which was used for um mainly for dining but also any, any, we might have little meetings in, in there if we needed to um, at night and they would cook up these big dishes so there was plenty of rice and other food and that was pretty good as I said in the previous uh, podcast we, we did start to lose interest I think it's true of most of us <laughs> as we got higher but um, food was good and it was good enough for us to keep going and then during the walks which would range the first one was a half day and we had I think another half day um, and then the final day was pretty much a half day uh, but the rest of it, we'd be walking for between seven and nine hours. So this was why with the training, I started doing these five-hour hikes because I knew that we would be having some pretty long walks to do and I wanted to get um, as fit as possible to um, to do them. So um, anyway, that was that was it. So that was uh, pretty much day one. And then we day two, we were walking up to um, Kikiliwa, I think, is Kikiliwa Caves. I'm sure I've said that wrong. That's it. Um, and that's where our camp was around 3,800 meters. So that took us most of the days to get up there. Uh, day four, again, this was um, a shorter one. We actually walked to Moenzi. And um, we actually had a, a campsite at a place called Moenzi Town. And that has a small lake. It is really small. But we did stay two nights there. So that was pretty nice. So once we were set up there, we had a kind of restful afternoon. And then, um, in fact, that night I was doing some astro because we had the uh, a kind of more relaxing day um, the, the following day. Uh, the, that was day five. We, um, um, yeah, you know, I knew, I knew there wasn't sort of the big thing to get up early, get ready to go and, and go because they were pretty keen that we left on time. And um, I, I just find it sort of respectful for everyone to be ready to go, and particularly the people trying to organise it. We did have a couple of people who were always very tardy, and um, that, that was a bit annoying. But um, 
yeah, we, we you know, I always made a point of being up early. In fact, getting up was quite fun because we get a, a cup of coffee and you, you could hear the guys going around, but I was usually awake anyway. And I could always hear this racket. It sounded like everyone was up and chatting. But when I finally got out of my tent, um, I'd find I was the only one because people were just talking within their tents. So being on my own, it's, it's, you know, I just assumed everyone was up and talking. In fact, I was the only one up. And then the guys would come and bring me a cup of sugary coffee, which was nice, except on the, I think the last couple of days, we didn't have any sugar, we'd run out. So um, that, in fact, was pretty good. And then on, on that day as well, on that rest day, that sort of fifth day, we um, we did go for a hike. So it was a few hours, it was only a couple of hours, but it was just to get up a little bit higher. And then, so you sort of hike high and rest low. And that was what we did on that day. And then on day six, we walked across what they call the, sed- the saddles. So Mwenzi is one of the peaks you can see. If you look at Kilimanjaro, at least from one side, you can see two peaks, one lower than the other. And they're, they're sort of pretty much the width of the uh, the top of the mountain. Well, one of those is um Mwenzi and then the rest of the, and then the other peak is actually the main peak and the bit in the middle is known as the saddle and it looks like a sort of gentle plane which it, it is but it it's really easy to underestimate how far it is because it doesn't look like it's that far when you're walking along it and then you realize when you're sort of squinting a bit off in the far distance there's some tiny little dots and then you realize that people and they're actually the porters that passed you you know half an hour 40 minutes ago and they're way off in the distance and yet there's still a lot further to go so it's one of those places that is really um deceptive and in fact that was only um i think we only did um a few hours that was maybe about a four hour um hike and the reason for that was and when we got to the camp in fact which um was kibu um, the whole camp was really steep. So, and, and because at that point we were definitely, I mean, I was definitely feeling the shortage of breath and uh, we'd taken it slowly. So it's poly poly is what they say to get you to slow down, which had to do with me quite a lot. Um, it's, to, it's so that you, your body can, it's not overexerting because you're, it takes a while to, for your body to start processing the oxygen the way, in a way that it needs to, because it just isn't as plentiful up there. So, Although the walk was nice and steady, actually, I found just walking up this little steep area where we were camped was actually quite tiring. And I do remember being in there and I was putting my boots on or putting some pants on or doing something. And I was absolutely exhausted. It took me about 20 minutes and I was just so out of breath. So um, th- this is where that the altitude, that difference in altitude really starts to um kick in and we were at 4730 meters so um the peak is around 5000 whatever i said 5600 um uh, sort of 80 odd meters 85 meter length so that that's that's a, you know a big difference in in height it's you know nearly it's about 950 meters so it is quite high and the reason that we had um, a nice easy afternoon on day six was that we were actually starting our hike to the peak that night at about, we were leaving at 11. So we had dinner at, um, I think it was 9.30, And then we had to change into our sort of full on gear for this night trek because it was really cold. And um, we also had snacks and everything. And we were sort of stopping on the way at a place called um, Gilman's Point, which is at 
um, sorry, the, the Gilman's point is the high point. There's a place called Hansmeyer Cave, which is just a stop on the path, really. That's 5,150 metres. Um, and, and so we left at 11. We actually reached the peak at nine o'clock so that's 10 hours and it was this i have to say was the most difficult part of it for a couple of reasons one is we were going really slowly it was like you couldn't stride or anything it was just small steps because you're walking on this loose scree and because it's loose scree you can't go directly up you have to traverse so you're basically walking from side to side and gradually getting higher and higher and this is why it takes so long and you have to go slow on this scree because it does move. And um, because you're going so slowly, your body isn't generating any heat through your muscles. And I was getting really cold. And in fact, two there were two young guys from Melbourne who were just absolutely brilliant, possibly saved my life. <laughs> um, because I was getting so cold. They had these little things and I didn't have any of them, but you could buy them. They're in like a little sachet. And if you crushed it and rubbed it, it would create heat. And they took a look at me, and I don't know how, I guess they were looking with their um, the head torches, but they said later that I was just looking really blue, and uh, they were getting a bit worried about me. So they gave me a few of these things, opened them, shoved a couple in my gloves, so I had one in each glove, and also just stuffed one inside my um, rain jacket, my, my Gore-Tex jacket, near my heart, <laughs> to stop me from dying, basically. So... It went on and I didn't look at my watch. And at one point I thought it's going to be three in the morning, but I just didn't want to look. And it was almost like the, the whole focus was on the next step, the next step, the next step. I was stopping again. Um, somebody, two people in our group, one lady had got a bit sick and she didn't leave that sort of final base camp for the ascent. Then we had an American guy who got sick and um, <clears throat> he did start to, to do the climb. But in the end, they just took him back down because he just couldn't do it. Um, so the rest of us kept on going and I, I kind of zoned out. So I, I, I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you're doing something long. I, I kind of have it on long haul flights a little bit, but uh, not so much now that you've got these sort of on-demand movies. Also, I just sit and watch loads of movies if I'm doing a long haul flight. But it was a little bit like that doing this climb. It was just hour after hour of being very cold. And um, I think the most depressing thing was we stopped because we were stopping regularly and We'd stopped and I remember looking up and I could see these tiny little lights just way above us. And it was and then there was some more sort of lower down. And this group, a couple of groups had gone past us, they'd actually overtaken us. And um yeah, that was that was the most difficult part. And then it was sort of, well, don't think about it, just sort of head down, do what you gotta do. So um there we are. And then finally the um the you know, we could see the dawn that was starting, and we got to um the sort of edge of the the caldera itself which is rocky actually so that was where we were having to climb over rocks um which was sort of a bit tricky and then we got up to this um sort of gate um on the top of the caldera and uh that was by then the sun was up but that was just really nice and we were putting on sunscreen having a bit of a breather but it actually took us the best part of an hour to then walk around the edge of the caldera up to the final point and i remember this last part and I could see it and I was just so tired and my, um, yeah, I was, I was trying to get a steady rhythm going. And in the end, I just got rhythm in my head and start walking to it. And I ended up being the first one getting there. But there was another lady behind and I was talking to her afterwards and she said she was feeling exhausted and she saw I'd got a kind of rhythm going. She just followed me. <laughs> so, um, 
so yeah, I was feeling quite cocky about it actually because I was the oldest um, by ten years. What was I? I was fifty six. So um, yeah, oldest by ten years, and I was the first one to get up there, and that was great. And we we did all do our photos, and there's a lot of people up there, and everyone's kind of polite, and you take it in terms to get your photograph at the the big sign, and um, and it was really cool as well. It was just finally after all those months of training to actually be up there and to have got to the top because my biggest worry I think was that I wouldn't get to the top and uh, so that was that was a kind of a high point really and it was sort of emotional and then <laughs> had the moment and then decided to get back to where I could actually breathe so we then started going back and then of course we got this long walk back to the edge of the caldera and climbing back down over the rocks but after that it was brilliant because with this scree slope rather than walking traversing we just almost it was almost like skiing down it you had to kind of look where you were going but I was just let myself go and um so it took us from 11 at night till about 9, <clears throat> so 10 hours to get to the peak. We were back in the uh, the camp by midday, so it was three hours or thereabouts going in the other direction, and that was massive. And um, then, of course, we had some dinner. We kind of got changed. We got ready to move on because we weren't staying. We were going down to a lower camp, and that was another three, four-hour hike, uh, given that we just climbed up to the top and done this sort of massive climb. And I do remember I was out of breath. I had some lunch and I said to one of the guides, and it was a really nice guy, and I said, look, I'm really sorry, but I cannot carry my backpack. I'm just that tired now. I couldn't do it. And um, I think he just took my backpack, which wasn't that heavy. It wasn't my main sort of 10 kilo bag that the porters were carrying. But even my own bag, I took my water with me and that was pretty much it. And I, I really did start to feel unwell and I felt I was going to get a massive dose of diarrhea or something. So as we were walking... And I was out in the front again, and it was start, it felt like it might rain. Um, but I was looking at where the rocks were, so I could, if I had to, I could dive off very rapidly and uh, sort myself out. But luckily, that didn't happen. Unfortunately, though, one of the guys on the way back had got um, damaged his knee, and they had to get a stretcher because they had to take him down to the camp where we were, where we were going to stay on this final night, because that was where they could get wheeled transport to him. So they actually had this stretcher on essentially bicycle wheels and a couple of guys just took him down and um so he was actually down there when we got to this base camp and the two people who hadn't been able to do the final climb were also there when I was checking in unfortunately I didn't have much time to talk to them because um I signed in I was still feeling pretty unwell one of the young guys came to find me to tell me to my tent and as we're walking down that this path I just had to say excuse me one moment I just let sort of dive behind this bush and threw up my body was just saying, okay, you're an idiot and you've had enough. So that was it. And then um, I stayed in my tent, decided not to have dinner, but they did bring me some food. They brought me far too much. But it was kind of nice to get some food in my system, but I just needed to sleep. And this was my body saying, you are really dumb. So um, that that was the day of the climb, but it was really, it's a massive day. It was like a double day. And then that final morning, I got up and I actually felt miles. I just felt so much better because I was lower down. I'd had some sleep. Not massive, but it was enough. And then I got a bit of food in my body and um, we walked down. But I have to say, that was where I did the most damage to myself because I wasn't wearing my prescription sunglasses. I had wraparound Aussie sunglasses because of the altitude and because you tend to burn much more easily up there. And I wanted to protect my eyes too. So I had these wraparounds and um, we were walking at a reasonable pace. The guy who was leading us was taking us at a reasonable sort of whack so that we could get to the, the bottom and have lunch. 
And um, because I was following him and I couldn't see that well, and we were going down what had been an old riverbed and it was, well, it was dried out at the time anyway. And I got to say, I must have kicked every rock it was possible to kick on the way down. I must have hit my shins, I don't know how many times, hitting rocks that were jutting out that I didn't see. And um, what actually happened when I got back to uh, Australia, <laughs> the toenails on my big toes, both of them went black, black and, and came out. <laughs> So, yeah, that was that was not good. But that was I think that was all done on that last day because I just couldn't see these rocks and I just kept, kept kicking them. And it was a bit slippery. Well, one of the guys, as I slipped over, grabbed me by the backpack and whipped me back up again. So the, the guys who'd saved my life the night before then stopped me making a complete art of myself on the way down. But, uh, yeah, it was really good. So we had our, our sort of big meal and um, together and it was it was really weird seeing a road again after... So, you know, seven days, eight days uh, trekking. Um, Well, we were on the eighth day and then we got bus back to the hotel and um, then we had the big sort of celebration dinner that night where we got our certificates and um, it was just really nice and it was just a totally different feel to the, um, you know, the the first night where I think all of us were worried to some extent whether or not we'd be able to make it. And um, I, I was just really pleased that I did and I didn't get altitude sickness as well, which was a... Massive plus. So that really, without going on too much about it, was the sort of short version of the experience. And um, I then spent a few days in the Serengeti, so I might do that as another uh, podcast. So there you go. So thanks again for listening. I hope you found that interesting. I hope I didn't waffle on too much. And um, look, if you are thinking about doing it, I'd certainly recommend it as a test, but it's not like you climb up there and there's something to see. There's a big hole and there's a glacier, <laughs> and that is pretty much it. But um, there you go. That was my experience of climbing um, Kilimanjaro. So um, until the next time, uh, goodbye. Just before I go, I want to let you know that there's a couple of ways you can support me if you feel so inclined. Uh, with the podcast, Buzzsprout, which is the um, the platform I use for all of my podcasts, they have a subscription model. So if you feel that you would like to subscribe, a few dollars, a few euros, whatever, um, to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. The other option is my Patreon membership. So if you'd like to become a patron, and that starts at the price of a cup of coffee every month, you'll get access to exclusive material, behind-the-scenes material, photography tips, all this kind of stuff, depending on which tier you're at. So there is some information available through my website and um, also on the, uh, uh, the written text to go with this podcast. So if you choose either one, thank you so much in advance. And whether or not you do, I hope you uh, continue to enjoy the podcast and let other people know about them. Thank you very much. Bye for now. 